In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, people tell the story of the shepherds a million different ways. Let me tell you what I see with the way that Luke describes these shepherds. First of all, he describes them as people who are doing their job. They're out in the field at night, keeping watch over their flocks. Now, what does that mean? When you go to your Christmas pageants, you know, the shepherds are all, and they've got their sheep staves and they're standing around. Um, What's actually happening is the sheep have all been gathered into the folds, um, the the kind of walled in cave areas. um, And the sheep are, and the shepherds are literally keeping watch. They are protecting the sheep from predators and thieves and things like that. That's what they're doing. They're not out in the out in the wild walking the sheep in the middle of the night. That is not how you take care of sheep. That's how you lose sheep. Because I don't know if you know this, sheep are stupid. They are dumb. They are super dumb. They have always been super dumb. Um, and, and you don't take sheep out in the middle of the night because if you lose a sheep in the middle of the night, you're never going to find it. So you only walk sheep during the day when you can see them and you can count them and you know where they are. You don't chase them. You don't chase them around at night. So these sheep were all bedded down for the night. So I know that kind of blows up the Christmas pageant thing, but that's what's going on. Sheep were all bedded down for night and the angel appears uh, to speak to them. The angel appeared, uh, verse 9, angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with great fear. Now, wouldn't you be great, filled with great fear um, if you were sleeping, watching over your sheep, and you're worried about bears and wolves and things like that, and, and an angel pops up and starts to speak to you? In verse 11, uh, verse 10, um, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. And we talked about this last night. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I wanted to, I wanted to reflect a little bit on the, on the thought of why, the she, she, why shepherds. Why shepherds? Um, now, in Matthew, um, there are magi. Um, sometimes people say they're kings or wise men. They're magi. They're king makers. They're, they're Persian um, astrologers is basically what they are. And they go to Jerusalem looking for he who is born king of the Jews. And the rabbis consult the scriptures and they read a passage from Micah. And I, that's in the flyer, this passage, part of this passage. Um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, that passage is quoted in Matthew to tell the Magi where Jesus was born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But then we have this idea of shepherds. And if you spend any time on the Hebrew scriptures, you find out that shepherds are a big deal in the Hebrew Bible. There are a lot of shepherds. David is a shepherd. Abraham's a shepherd. 
Pretty much everybody famous in the Bible is in the Old Testament is a shepherd. There are a lot of shepherds. And shepherd was a title for the king of Judah. He was the great shepherd. Micah, the prophet Micah, um, delivers his prophecy at a time period when the people of Israel, the people of Judah, needed a shepherd. See, the kingdom had split around 920 BC into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was the wealthy, popular, famous kingdom. They had all the cool stuff. The, the northern kingdoms were the kids whose parents bought them a BMW their sophomore year of high school. The northern kingdom had everything. They had access to the great powers of the world. They had access to the trade routes. They, they were connected. They, they, they knew the most important people. The southern kingdom of, of Judah, which is centered in Jerusalem, which is the one we usually know about, that was the backwater it was a bunch of shepherds and, and goat herds living on the backside of the wilderness. They didn't have access to a trade route. They, they rare, barely had access to water and resources. They were just a little country. Jerusalem at the time is a city of maybe ten or 15,000 people. It's just not a big place at all. But the advantage of being the northern kingdom, of having access to the trade routes and all of those things, also meant that you were subject to everything else that goes along with the power of the world. And one of those things was that you got attacked by a lot of people all the time. And one of those people was the Assyrian Empire, an empire that rises up in Mesopotamia um, and conquers the world. And we've, we've talked about them weeks before. As they were bearing down on that northern kingdom, most people who had half a brain just packed up their stuff and left. And when I say they pack up their stuff, I mean they literally packed up their stuff. Archaeologically, we have, we have records of this, this migration happening, and we're talking about they packed up their flocks, they packed up their families, and they packed up, of all things, their, their, um, their millstones. Big, huge blocks of stone that for some reason they took with them as they moved south. Now, I got to be honest with you. It's one thing to pack up your stuff and put it in a car because the car is going to drive itself. It's another thing to decide to roll a 500-pound millstone uh, 100 miles to a new house. You would think you could just make a new one. But there wasn't, there wasn't access to the, the material that they used. And so the millstones literally get carried down. It's one of the reasons we know that this happened. Because these people literally brought their millstones with them. And they're getting out of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom is being attacked and, um, and being pressed. And there was a king named Uzziah. who was a king of the, the southern kingdom. Um, who... Uh, he basically ruled for like forever, for about 46 years, I think he reigned. Um, and, and he actually outlives one of his sons, and there's a, a bunch of stuff that's going on. But he's kind of just absorbing all of these people. As, there, as this is happening, as this process is occurring, he's, he's allowing these people to come and move in. And then he dies, and his son Ahaz takes over. Um, and Ahaz looks around, and he sees all of these northern people come in with their flocks and their millstones and, and their gods. 
and he looks around at the threats of the world that are coming, and, and Ahaz decides that since he's got a whole new constituency of northern people, he needs to be like a northern king, and so he starts to worship their false gods. In fact, uh, the book of Second Kings that he says that he made his sons to pass through the fire, which was a, a kind of human sacrifice... Um, and, and when he is threatened by, uh, when he's threatened by this northern kingdom and another kingdom called Aram Damascus, uh, he appeals to the Assyrians. He says, come and help me out. These guys are, are, um, oppressing me, which was all the excuse that the Assyrians need. They sweep in and they take over the city of Damascus. And eventually in 722, they take over the northern kingdom. Well, as they're on their way down, Ahaz goes to meet the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser III what a great name. Um, they call him Tiggy. Um, and uh, he goes to meet Tiglath-Pileser III at Damascus, and he sees this altar, and he loves this altar that, that is dedicated to the Assyrian god. And so when he gets home, he has an altar, a copy of that altar built in the Jerusalem temple. During the reign of this king, two prophets emerge. The first is Isaiah, and everybody knows Isaiah. Isaiah, you know, he's a well-known prophet, wrote a book that's 66 chapters long. But the second is Micah. Micah delivers a prophecy about the impending doom. That the Assyrians are coming. That the people of Israel are going to be, um, they're going to be punished for their idolatry and their witchcraft. That's most of what Micah's book is about. But in chapter 5, he talks about the salvation of the people of Israel. And that's where this line about Bethlehem Ephrathah comes from. If we go back to verse 1, we read this line. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. He's talking about the Assyrians. They're coming. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. This describes Ahaz's grandson. is a young man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah um, was raised by his mother's family, which means he was probably raised in Bethlehem, which is about 10 miles southeast of Jerusalem, outside of the temple, outside of the palace complex. And probably Hezekiah was not intended to be king, which is why he's described this way, to be little among the clans of Judah. Verse 3 um, uh, the verse, let me verse two. Uh, o Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is saying he is the true descendant of David. He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty 
of the name of the Lord his God. Now, this prophecy specifically addresses this fact that a king would emerge from Bethlehem who would save Judah from the oppression of the Assyrians. Why then do the gospel writers grab this idea? Matthew grabs the passage here when he talks to the Magi and Luke grabs the shepherds, this idea of shepherding as a king. Why do they grab it and transfer it to Jesus? It is because when you read the Hebrew scriptures, every good thing about a king, every good thing about a king is magnified in the coming Messiah. Uh, and I, I don't have time to get into it, but Micah deals with false prophets and unjust rulers and, and the coming of the day of the Lord and, and how punishment is coming and all of these things. But, but the true prophecy, what he's getting at, is not the judgment that Israel is going to go through, but the raising of the salvation of God. From the smallest, most insignificant place in the world standards to the most important role in the lives of the faithful. It's a, and, and there's a bunch of other details in here. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But I wanted you to take a look at verse 4. Um, and this is actually where I want to camp the shepherding. What does it mean for God, for Christ, our King, our Shepherd, to shepherd us. Verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. When Christ came to be our savior and our shepherd, he came in the strength of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Adam and Eve, the God of David, the God of the Old Testament, it is not a reset. It's not a new God. It's not a new moment. But Jesus comes in the strength of the Lord. And why does he come? He comes in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. When Christ rules over us as our sovereign, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our shepherd, his purpose and this is wildly unpopular, but his purpose is not our betterment. His purpose is the majesty of God. And then it says in verse 4, they shall dwell secure. Well, that's, that's a promise for us, right? We're going to be secure in God. We're in Christ. But why are we secure? For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. We, we mention this all the time, but, but it bears repeating. Our security, our hope, our joy, our, our peace, it derives, not, it, it derives not from our desire to have it and therefore God gives it, but rather our location in Christ. Uh, the peace that the security that is promised to us is not peace and security for ourselves. It is peace and security in Him. Uh, you know, um, 
when I was growing up, uh, I was known for um, uh, wandering off. I have a little bit of an attention issue. Um, it's difficult. It was difficult for me as a kid to pay attention. I often would more than once looked up and realized the woman I was walking next to was not my mom. Um, my, my dad, when we were going someplace dangerous now, now today, I mean, you meet my dad and you realize he's really not that intimidating, but when you're a, a three foot tall Eric and he's a five foot five, uh, Kirk, he's the most amazing person you've ever seen. Um, when, my, when we were going someplace dangerous, and for some reason that happened more than once as a child, um, my dad would say to us, you stay with me and you will be safe. And what he meant by that was, if you stay close to me, I'll protect you. I can protect you. But if you wander off, my security doesn't, it's not a force field. It doesn't extend to you. If you're out of my reach, I can't grab you. And I can't tell you the number of times that that happened, um, that my father snagged me out of the air because I was doing something stupid um, and protected me from bashing my head. And I have, by the way, scars all over my head because I was infamous for jumping off of things too, um, leading with my head. It's the heaviest part of my body. It it pulls down. Um, (laughs) The security that I had as my father's child was being close to him. He would protect me if I was close to him. And our security as followers of Christ comes from being close to him. We're not free to live our lives on our own. We are called to follow Christ. Uh, To walk in the light that he sheds. That, That is our security. We talk about peace. Well, I want to have peace. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That does not mean that when Jesus showed up, the whole world just was like, hey man. That is not the peace he's talking about. But rather the peace of being close to the one who is sovereign. I want to close with uh, the last few verses of Micah. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 is actually the last bit in the in the bulletin to give you something to think about this christmas day who is a god like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance he does not retain his anger forever he delights in steadfast love He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The God who calls us to look to Christ. The God who gives us everything that we have in the scriptures reminds us that he is the God who pardons iniquity, passes over transgression, lets go of his anger. 
embraces and, and, and delights in steadfast love. That, by the way, is the Hebrew word chesed. For the one who, to, from whom I deserve nothing gives me everything. He treads our iniquities underfoot. He casts away our sins. And he is faithful. He always has been. And he always will be. What does the incarnation mean? Why shepherds? Because we're sheep. And the place we need to be is with our shepherd. You say, I'm not a sheep. That's what every sheep says. (laughs) We can be the most intelligent, most gifted people in the world, but the reality is on the cosmic scale, we are his sheep and we need him to protect us, to love us, to guide us, to chasten us, to correct us. And the extraordinary thing about our shepherd is that he came to be among us. He can't, the angel comes to shepherds who are with their sheep to tell them that the shepherd has come to be with his sheep. You join me in a word of prayer and then I'm going to close in a song. Heavenly Father, we are not everything that we sometimes think we are. You are our shepherd and our master and our God and our Lord. May we be reminded this Christmas season that all that we have, the gifts that we receive, they are truly gifts from you. We do not deserve them. You give them out of your loving kindness toward us. And as you bring about the majesty of our God, may we also manifest the majesty that we see in you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.